0: Why don't you open up to Genesis? We are going to be starting our intro to Isaiah this week. And what I mean by intro to Isaiah is that it's hard to step right into any of the prophets without a lot of background Um, because it's prophetic writing, it's poetic writing, and um, it's really important that we understand what the background and the context is to Isaiah and so we're going to actually start and um, paint a picture of the background of Isaiah, but today is a little bit special as well, um, and we'll talk about that in a second. So let's start by praying. Holy Spirit, as we embark upon a new journey this morning to understand the background and context of the prophecy of, prophecies of Isaiah, we desire to hear the heart of the Father God through your influence and words. We gather this morning to not only learn of that context, but to look and see how it applies to our lives in 2016. As we grapple with the topic of slavery and human trafficking, and more importantly, freedom, in the midst of Isaiah, we pray that you would soften our hearts to hear from you today. Please teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And um, I'm excited for all of you that came today. First, today is a very special day for me, and it's a very special for us as a church because today is our fifth anniversary of existence as a church. It's pretty cool, right? And I, as I was explaining to somebody the other day, I'm totally shocked, <laughs> partly because I know myself and partly because I know how hard it is to have a church go, and I can say that it's 100% because of the Lord. Uh, and if there is anyone to thank for the work of this church. It's you guys. And so I'm super, super thankful um, to be able to celebrate with you and to be encouraged by you and to, to work alongside you as a co laborer. And so I really do want to thank you guys today for the ability and the chance and the grace to serve you, to be your pastor, and to grow alongside you. And I'm really excited to see what the next five years holds. And that's why today, rather than having a big birthday party, so to speak, what we're doing is we're going to focus in on what the heart of this church is. Because the heart of this church if we're doing it right, is to have the heart of the Lord. And so along with that, I'm often reminded of the fact that the institution of Mission Fellowship does not exist simply for our benefit. It doesn't exist for us to simply have fun and enjoy. Those are good things, and they're side effects. But we are hopefully blessed by the people of Mission, by one another, the chance to worship and learn together, but more importantly, the chance to carry out something bigger than ourselves. In reality, this church serves at the will, not of the elders or the pastor or even the people, but at the will of our loving King. And so today I'm excited that we get to participate in something that is so very much part of His heart for this world. Today, we are joining with a group that many of you might be familiar with called IJM. It's called International Justice Mission. And what their job is, what their purpose is, is to end slavery. Now, everybody would admit that's a really, really good goal. They are the largest international abolitionist or anti-slavery organization in the world. And today, uh, along with 380 other churches, some of them doing it today, some of them doing it next week, some of them have already done it, we are across the United States celebrating the freedom that Christ gave us by talking about and discussing the subject of slavery. It's really exciting for me that we get to be part of the first ever Freedom Sunday and they're doing something um, that is really very much uh, in line with what we're going to cover in Isaiah. And so as a church, we're moving into the study of Isaiah. And today and for the next few weeks, we're going to be covering themes like I talked about that back and help us understand what Isaiah is talking about even from the get-go. And so we'll jump into Isaiah 1 a little bit today, but I want to give you some background a little bit. So, Freedom Sunday the book of Isaiah, they very much merge, and I think it is very much the providence of God that allows us to be in this place today. One of the greatest principles that we must understand for Isaiah to make sense is that it's not what we know, it's not what we say, it's what we do that speaks to the God that we say we worship. What we do is what shows our theology. It shows who the God is that we say we believe in. Our very lives reflect the God that we worship in whom we supposedly believe. And for the people of Judea, the southern kingdom of Israel, in the time of Isaiah, this was the message that God wanted to get across to them. In Isaiah's time, their actions and lives were not lining up with the heart of the God they stated that they served, that they were literally in covenant with to serve. And so Isaiah came on the scene for a very specific purpose that we will see in a minute. The first thing that we need to understand today as we start into this uh, uh, teaching is this. God has always desired to partner with his image bearers to bring his rule. I know that's a long sentence. God has always desired to partner with his image bearers to bring his rule. Now, right off the bat, this is different than our usual slide, so I'll explain to you what you're seeing. You're seeing slaves at work. You're seeing people in bonded labor who are not free to come and go, not free to use their money for their purposes. They are enslaved to do the work of carrying bricks on their head. This is unbelievable, and this is what's going on in the world today. And so as you look at each of these slides, be reminded that the background of this is that there is suffering going on, and God has always desired to partner with his image bearers to break that suffering, to bring his rule. An interesting question to ponder is this, as we read through Genesis, why was it that God did not simply become a man and set himself physically up on the throne of this world? Now, I don't know, maybe you're not a theology geek like me, but I've pondered that before. Why is that? And the answer is, we have no idea. We just don't know. And we might question him, we might come up with answers, but we just don't know. What we do know, which is always the good thing to stick to, what you do know for sure, is that rather than place himself on the physical throne of the world, what he did is he created a man and a woman to partner with him to be what are called his co-regents, his sub-kings. It's kind of like the vice president or the vice principal. They were placed on this earth, Adam and Eve, or the original two humans, whatever their names were, for the purpose of governing in God's rule. Now, how do we know this? Turn with me to Genesis 1.26, and I'm going to show you a couple things. There are a few words that speak to this, and all of our uh, college students and uh, young adults that have been at our young adults group, you guys, this is going to be a repeat for you because I've covered this the last two weeks. But for the rest of us, this is very, very important. Look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, "'Let us make man in our image.'" Now what's interesting about this is we read through this, we've probably all read through this many times, we know this story and we go, yeah, that's, that's great, that's, that's where we came from, that's what was going on. But remember that the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were written to the Israelites as they were going into a land filled with foreign gods to tell them and remind them who they were, who they worshipped, and what their purpose was. And so right here off the bat, let me give you what the meaning of a few of these words are. If you read the Hebrew, they kind of, grow into a fuller picture. The first one is the word image. It's used multiple times. Let us make man in our image. In Hebrew, it's the word Selem. And what it literally means is a statue that looks exactly like the Creator. The reason we know this is because all throughout the Old Testament, that same Hebrew word is used in place of idol. See, we, we cannot create idols because we are not the creator God. And so when we do it, we are flipping right authority on its head and saying we should be God. We're doing the very sin that Eve does in chapter 3. But it's okay for God because he is a creator, an artist, to mold a statue that is his likeness and his picture and then to breathe his breath of life into it. We are literally his statues. Now, to us, this makes no sense, but if you go to any Near East culture and you go and look at the the archaeology, what you'll find is that throughout empires, they would erect and build statues that looked exactly like the emperor. Why? For what purpose? To remind them who really was in control and who really was in power. And we were supposed to be this as humanity. We would remind all creation who the true king was through his sub-kings, his sub-queens. The next word is the word dominion. He says, let them have dominion. Dominion is the word radah in the Hebrew, and it means let them have rule. This word literally means to create subjects or to subjugate. In other words, they were to be literally king and queen. This word is used throughout the Old Testament to speak of kings subjugating their subjects. The third word that is very important here is the word subdue. Subdue, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, most of us think this means, you know, mowing our lawn, chopping down the weeds, right? Subduing the earth. But in reality, this word, it's a great word. We've actually taken it over in the English, kibosh, okay? I'm going to kibosh you. Okay. Now the word Hebrew the, the Hebrew word kabosh it is used throughout the Old Testament to speak of what happens when the Assyrians or the Babylonians come in and conquer a land. Now as I've uh, said to you before that's not a good thing. The Assyrians or the Babylonians come in, here's what they did. And I don't mean to say this lightly, but this is what they did. They would rape the women. They would kill all of the men of military age. They would cut off their heads, place them on lances outside the city and say, come and get it to any of their enemies. And then they would take all of the children back to their land to become slaves. The way that they did that was they would put a metal hook in their nose, attach it to a chain, and they would make them walk all the way back to Babylon. So this word, subjugate, it's not a light word. Or excuse me, the the, the word subdue is not a light word. What God is saying here is, subdue, conquer the earth. And the question is, is what on earth were they to conquer? If they were given the rule and authority of Yahweh God and they were told to conquer it from whom, who were they conquering it from? Well, the answer is easy. We turn to Genesis 3. Genesis three one. it starts out and it says, Now the serpent. And in ancient Near East literature, the serpent is always a creature of chaos. So not only could it have literally been that Satan took on the, the image of a serpent, but it also means that symbolically what the author is trying to tell us here is There was someone trying to cause chaos. And as we learn from Revelation, that serpent is Satan himself, the accuser, okay? And so who we were to conquer it from is to conquer the serpent, to conquer the ideology that he brings in that God is not a good God, that God is a controlling and authoritarian God, that God doesn't know what he's doing and we should become gods. We covered that a few weeks ago. And so it's interesting when you look at what God, Yahweh God says as part of what the serpent reaps is this in Genesis 3:14. Look there. The Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed" He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The NIV, I think, has it better there. He will crush your head. There is a statement of death that one would come that would be killed by the bite of the viper, but in being killed, he would also crush completely that viper. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. And he says to him, You will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, any of us who've played athletics, we know what this means, right? I'm going to ground your face in the dust. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. This means he's done. This means he loses. Now, it's interesting because the same language is used throughout the Old Testament. Turn with me to Micah. Go to Micah chapter 7. Micah 7. And look at starting in verse 16. This is speaking of the eventual coming of the true reigning king, the second and last Adam, the one who will come and establish what the first Adam could not, a kingdom in the name of Yahweh God, the Father God. And so in Micah, it's right before Nahum, okay, if you can't find it, go to your table of contents. I do it all the time, table of contents, go ahead and turn there. In Micah 7.16, it says, The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. In other words, all the kingdoms that raised up against you, God, they will eventually be brought down. Like the crawling things of the earth, they shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You see, when we talk about what we are to conquer, we talk about conquering not only the enemy, the first rebel, the one who rebelled against the good and loving nature and character of God, Satan himself, we, rebel against, uh, or we fight against the rebels of all of the demonic activity that came along with him when he rebelled. But we also fight against the very evil in ourselves, the evil that is within mankind to usurp the throne of God, to remove the image of God from other human beings, and to take on that rebellious character ourselves. We are called to conquer because God has always desired to partner with his image bearers to bring his rule. Now, how do we conquer? Well, you guys know the answer to that. We conquer through one word, four letters, love. But there's also an interesting language in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2.15, go ahead and turn back there again. Genesis 2.15, there's a zoomed-in version of the story in which God gives a little bit more information to to Adam and Eve about what they're to do. And in Genesis 2.15, It says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The two words in the Hebrew mean this, to serve, and the the inclination here is to serve in a worshipful way. It's like a priest serving in a temple. And to guard it. The old school language is to hedge it about, right? I always wondered why hedges were so protective, you know? You just run right through them. But hedge it about, to protect it. Okay. Now the garden was the place where God met man. And so what we see here is we see this beautiful picture. The garden was to be the first temple where heaven and earth connected and man took on the rule as the sub-kings of God and as we know from the wonderful Christian gospel Christmas song, his law is love. And we were to carry out that love and we're going to carry it out in a priestly way bringing the worship of God to the rest of mankind. So, the implications here are massive. And I would submit that this statement, this point has never changed. We have changed, our theology has adjusted to the point where we have adopted a stance where God is supposed to do everything and we're supposed to do nothing and just wait. Now, I will tell you that without the cross, without the resurrection, there is no hope. And so in that case, yes, God took on everything. But that everything was to enable us to come back to shalom, the original purpose and the original right standing of what we were to do with God and to carry this out. And it's interesting, when Jesus came and he said to his disciples, go into all the nations, interesting, God said to be fruitful and multiply and go into all the earth, putting them under the name of Yahweh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What were they to do? Go and subjugate the earth in the name of the true king. And the last part of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 was to teach them his ways. And this is what we do. We teach people that there is a true and loving God who is our king, who is our ruler, and we, his people, carry out his commission. And it's not just to take the gospel in words, but in actions. God has always desired to partner with his image bearers to bring about his rule. Now, the next part is this. Mankind did not deal well with this, so we became enslaved in our rebellion. Mankind became enslaved in their or our rebellion. And so starting in Genesis 3, we wanted to turn the tables on God and usurp an authority of position from him to be like God, and we became enslaved in that rebellion. See, the Bible says the thing that masters you is the thing to which you are enslaved. Now, that could be greed. That could be lust. That could be demonic activity. It could be as simple as laziness. The thing that masters you to that you are enslaved. And all throughout the New Testament, we are begged not to step into this place of enslavement. Why don't you guys write down Romans chapter 6. I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Romans chapter 6, and listen to what it says, starting in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed." And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. See, we will always be subservient. Whether we want to believe it or not, human beings are created to be subservient. And our choices are to be set free to follow a loving master, a loving Lord, who literally sets us free by giving of his own blood, his own life, or to follow those things which will enslave us and eat us and devour us. And there are people that not based on their own choice, but because they've been forced into it, are enslaved without the choice to freely worship, to freely seek the worship of the one true loving God. See, from this rebellion and slavery to sin comes slavery towards one another. Turn to Genesis 4. Genesis 4. It was not too long in the story until mankind took their rebellious nature against God and started to not only destroy their relationship with God, but destroy their relationship with one another. Right there in Genesis chapter 4, verse 19, we're introduced to a man, which I'll go into more depth on in a a couple of weeks. We gain a lot of knowledge from this man named Lamech. And Lamech was offspring of Adam and Eve, and he chose to do whatever he wanted, and one of the first things he does is he removes the image of God and turns women into objects. Verse 19, Lamech took two wives. The Bible is not endorsing this. It is simply stating the fact. He took two wives. And if you jump down to verse 23, it says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Does that sound like a master with his property a little bit? If it doesn't, guys, try that one tonight, see how that goes for you. Okay? Hear me, you wife of Hans. It just doesn't have the same ring, right? And Kelly would be like, say what? Right? Rightfully so, okay? He says, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. In other words, I'm going to do whatever I, I want to do. He touched me, so I removed his life. There is a statement of mankind that we begin to rebel and all abuse and slavery of any sort come from this place of desiring power over others. It is the removal of freedom and free will and the forcing of our will upon another. It is a denial of the image of God in another person and this is at an all-time high today. This number is the number of slaves that they estimate are currently in slavery today. More than 45 million people are held in slavery today. One in four slaves are children. 25% are children. And you might ask, how is this possible? It's possible because of injustice. Globally, 4 billion people, okay, do the math, that's the majority, that's the majority, 4 billion people live outside the protection of the law. Four billion people do not have someone to call when they're being raped, when their children are being beaten, when they're get grabbed and taken into a bonded labor situation. They have no one to call. Now, I know that the situation in our country is rocky right now, and there are reasons on both sides of the aisle as to why that is, and honestly, I don't pick a side. I stand in the direct middle, and I see a lot of truth on both sides. But we need to be thankful for our law enforcement we can pick up the phone, and with three numbers, we can call people to help. Most of the world does not have that ability. And so, when you look at the removal of that ability to call law enforcement, human trafficking arises. People are looked at as cattle, as objects, and human trafficking generates about $150 billion a year. Two-thirds of that is from commercial sexual exploitation. Now, as I'll talk about, we have to realize, guys, that pornography is what feeds sexual exploitation. If you are a person in here that struggles with pornography, you may not be swiping your credit card, but you are allowing an industry to exist by your consumption that exploits children. A child goes missing in India every eight minutes and nearly half are never found. Now, I ask you parents in the room, what would that feel like? To empathize with these people breaks us. And we try quickly to erase these ideas from our mind because we think that our God is a God of comfort. That's true, but it's not the comfort we believe in America. He's a God of comfort in the midst of darkness and brokenness. Now, Human trafficking leads very much into sex trafficking. Credible and conservative estimates of global sex trafficking indicate that there are between 4.2 million and 11.6 million million people held in forced commercial sexual exploitation. Guys, the general uh, idea, and David, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, the population of Salem proper is about 250,000, is that about right? The whole area. Okay, that's the whole area. So Salem proper is even less than that. That's a quarter of a million people, guys. That's a lot of people that have been turned into objects simply to be used for someone's sexual pleasure. See this is what's crazy. And I want to introduce you right now. I'm going to start up a video here, and I want to introduce you you to one story. This is the story of a boy named Kumar. And I want you guys to listen closely, and I want to encourage you to let your emotions go. There's Kleenex on either side, and if you get struck, I guarantee you it's because you're struck by the Spirit. So let's go ahead and start up that video. You're working 14, 18-hour days with very little sleep, no freedom. Dignity is taken away from them, and, and that's something nobody should have to endure. We had, a number of years ago, two of the Bond laborers
1: escaped from a facility. And they were tracked down by the owners of the facility and, and brought back. And as a punishment for what they had done, Their hands were chopped off. We would go to the government officers and we'd say, sir, there is a bonded labor case. And almost always the response was, there is no bonded labor in my area. What are you talking?
0: How much? 30. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid. There's a
1: girl who's very afraid. Almost unable to walk.
2: This is Kumar. He was abandoned by his mother, and his father was suddenly killed. Orphaned and alone, he was accountable for his parents' debts. And at just seven years old, he was forced into slavery. Kumar remembers a day where he was so ill he couldn't get out of bed. Immediately, his owner came looking for him.
1: I am the I I am the I
2: Omar was trapped by debt and a slave owner who beat him continuously. He, like so many, had no remaining hope for a way out.
0: Slavery is part of the downward spiral of mankind, and the story is very grim. Like that video clip, darkness feels suffocating, especially to those of us that have our own children that are near that age. I think of John and Jade and many of you who know who they are. You see them running around. They are one year younger than when he was forced into bonded labor. I can't imagine what I would feel if I saw someone trying to force my children into that place. And I think that's a poignant statement he made. I think to myself, if only my parents were here. If only someone would help me. See, if we look at this and we leave it as it is, there is no hope. But the story of the Bible that we so heavily believe in and the God that it speaks of, Yahweh, who sent his son Jesus Christ, came not just to give us a way out of death, but a way out of this kind of darkness. God does not ever leave darkness in place. Yahweh was immediately, immediately at work to free his people in the story of God. Write this one down, God's heart is to free the oppressed. God's heart is to free the oppressed. And if you take a moment to think about this, this doesn't just mean those in bonded labor or sex trafficking. This means me. I was oppressed by sin and darkness. But for some reason, for some reason, I ended up here in America, free to do as I wish. For some reason, Kumar is in the place he's in. And the question is not, why did we end up here? The question is, is how does light get to both places? How does the light move through us, those that are free to make the choice, into those that are not? There are a number of ways that Yahweh, the God we serve, the creator and father God of the Bible is identified. The first one is this, I want you to turn to Genesis 18. Genesis 18 is the story of a guy named Abraham, and all throughout the Old Testament, especially the first five books, the God of the Old Testament is stated to be the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And this is good news, because look at what Abraham is brought into. Abraham is the first one that God made a covenant with, and from him his covenant people would come, of which we are a part. And in this story, right before um, God sends his angels into the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah to see if there is any righteousness left, if not to bring destruction, he asks himself about whether or not he shall talk to Abraham. And I want you to notice exactly what he says. Genesis 18, 17, the Lord said, okay, and when it says the Lord in the first five books of the Bible and throughout the Old Testament, it's stating uh, yod heh vov Yahweh, okay, or Jehovah, Yahweh all right? Yahweh said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, speaking of the fact that Jesus will come from his lineage, and so will the chosen people of God, his church. He says, for I have chosen him, what for? That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Does this sound like discipleship? by the teaching, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what? Righteousness and justice. Tzedekah Mishpat is the Hebrew. And it means more than our English language can even understand. This means a respect of all relationships, God, others, self, and the rest of creation are well-ordered as God designed People are treated with respect and dignity within their communities. This is what's contained in those two words. It's a communal-based mentality. You see, without free will, there is only bonded labor. That's why it is so important that our theology speaks of the fact that God gave us free will. And there's an interesting wording that continues on after this. He says, By doing righteousness and justice, notice he doesn't say by saying or thinking about, but by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. See that, guys? If you blink, you miss it. He will learn the way and he will carry it out so that my promise will come to him. This isn't a do what I say and maybe I'll reward you. What he's saying here is he's saying you are part of the solution, Abraham. See, Abraham, if you stay true to my covenant and you follow my heart of righteousness and justice and by your choice, your free will, you teach this to your children and you become a large nation and you take this light to the nations, you can overcome the darkness. That's the statement here. That's what he's saying. The second reason, or second way uh, that he is referred to throughout Scripture is the God that freed Israel. The God that freed Israel. You see, the first abolitionist was a man named Moses. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. And I want you to notice a couple spots here. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to jump around a bit. Okay, but basically Exodus 1 starts and it moves right out of Genesis. They were not separated uh, when they were written. They were part of one great book all the way through the first five books of the Bible. And it says that the the sons of Israel came over 400 years and and they started to um, have offspring. And it says, verse 7, But the people of Israel, after the forefathers had all died, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, verse 8, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly. Similar wording. Do you remember the first person to deal shrewdly? It actually says that the serpent is the one that came into the garden to use his shrewdness. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Verse 13, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. It got so bad to the point where, if you continue reading, they started to remove the humanity of the Israelites that they found no problem with killing the children. See, this is what allowed us as humanity to think it was okay to shove human men and women and children into cramped spaces on boats, transport them across the Atlantic, and use them on plantations, is to remove the humanity of another human being and blink as if their image of God is somehow lesser than ours. And this is what happened in the downward spiral of mankind. Now, Moses He steps up. He sees what happens, and he's angry about it, and so he decides to fight injustice. But rather than using God's way, he uses the world's way. Take a look at Exodus 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And the man answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? See, they knew at the heart of what Moses had done. Maybe he thought he was doing right, and maybe his goal was right to bring freedom, but the way he went about it was no different than the Egyptians, to the point where his brethren said, no, you're no different. What are you going to do? Moses was acting in the same manner to combat injustice by using injustice. And so God speaks to him and catches him and changes him. And look at Exodus uh, 23, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses had fled to Midian. But interesting, what does God choose to do? Take a look at chapter 3, verse 13. Who does he decide to send? Does he step in as a man and come and do it himself? No, he says to Moses, Moses, I will send you on behalf of me, to do what? State to the Pharaoh that famous line, let my people go, right? You guys get this, right? Okay. And so verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? And remember that name in biblical language means, what is your character? What shall I say to them? In other words, who are you? Because they were surrounded by false gods. And God says to Moses, I am who I am, yod in heh vov in the Hebrew. Yahweh can also be translated Jehovah because we don't know the vowels, okay? They're only consonants. But this name, very specifically, based on a lot of linguists' opinion, can also be translated, I will act out of my character. I will be who I am. In other words, I will bring justice to To bear. The one that brings freedom and justice to his people is the God that we serve, and he does it through mankind. And this is why in Exodus 6, you can just write it down, I'll just read it to you. Exodus 6, 6, it says that God said to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham. How does he do it? In partnership with his people.
2: IJM discovered the horrific conditions in the brick factory where Kumar and others were being forced to work against their will. And, based on their undercover video evidence, local government authorities and police came alongside IJM to conduct a rescue operation.
1: The more and more we are doing these rescues, people are getting aware that people are being abused. There is bonded labor. There is trafficking. Also, the law is going to take its course as well as perpetrators go behind.
2: When the team arrived in the morning and entered the brick factory, 15 men, women, and children were rescued and given their freedom back. Then, they were each given a certificate to prove that they no longer owe any debts to their former owner. And one was for Kumar. After being rescued, IJM placed Kumar in their aftercare program to heal.
1: You, you'd ask him a question anytime, no matter what, and he would say, The one thing I want to do, sir, is I want to study. He was clear about that.
2: And then, they enrolled him in school for the first time. Today, he is studying to be a social worker help those still suffering like he did.
0: And what we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, that widow who's been run out of her home. And we will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard. But to go after them until we find them. To be relentless in our love. I love that phrase, to be relentless in our love. That's the heart of our Father. And what's amazing about this is that the fight still continues and it's not over, and that's why this is so important. Write this one down. God's people reflect God's heart to free the oppressed. It is our mission. Now, I want to be really clear today. Today, we're focusing on IJM and their work, because I think it's very important. But guys, it is the right of the people in Burkina to have roofs. It is the right of the women in Haiti to have a trade. It is the right of the orphans in Haiti to have a bed and a roof over their heads. Many of the things that you might already do in serving Compassion International or World Vision or many other groups, these all come into the same thing, to free the oppressed, to free those oppressed by the effects of sin. And it is our mission to do so. And I want you to know today that God is pleased with your service in those areas. And I know that one of the things you might get from me is that I press. I believe it's never good enough. And maybe that's a sin. I don't think so. Because God has the same opinion. Until all of his sheep are found, he continues to search. And this is our mission as well. And so today, please know that my heart is in whatever area of justice you want to perform the heart of God to show other people the gospel, do it. See, it's nearly impossible to speak the language of the gospel of freedom, the gospel of the law of liberty, the gospel of love to someone that is being traded and enslaved as if they are property. You know, it's interesting. I'd never realized this until the first time I went to Africa. We talk all the time about healing, let's say. It's really hard tell someone about the gospel of healing while they're dying from malaria and you're not the one providing the medicine. It's really hard to tell someone about the gospel of the God that is the bread of life from heaven when they're starving to death and you have money in your pocket to buy them bread. The gospel cannot be fully laid out until it's fully laid out in action, followed then by words. And so God's people moved from Exodus and he gave them this weird book called Leviticus that we've studied before. And throughout Leviticus, you will find, if you go and study it, I I won't take you through it for the sake of time, but you'll find these weird laws, like once you harvest your crops, leave some behind. Why? For the sojourner, for the stranger who is hungry. They have this amazing festival that part of their sin as a nation was not practicing it, which was every seven years they were to practice the year of Jubilee to let those that were in, in slavery go free, to let those who had debts go free. Can you imagine, in our nation, if Citibank and the government all went, "Eh, that's seven years, everything's forgiven, right? No, because we're run by greed. We're run by our kingdom in our country. And these people were supposed to be different. They were supposed to shine a light and act out of the good news of a God that frees. This was to be the people of God, bringing the good news of the truth of God wherever they existed. Now, stepping into Isaiah, you might say, Hans, you're not talking about Isaiah at all. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to give you one slice of Isaiah and see how this is connected. Isaiah is brought on the scene not as the judge, but as the one who investigates as to whether or not the people of God are staying true to their covenant relationship with the Lord. And he comes to them and he says in Isaiah 1 4, Oh, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. Does this sound like a very good report? No. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why is this? Why does he say this? Well, skip ahead to verse 10 of chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He's talking to Judea here, okay? That's a slam. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Another slam. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says Yahweh? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the bull, blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He says, in fact, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. Guys, in our language, it's this. Stop showing up on Sundays. Stop practicing Christmas and Easter. They're an abomination to me. Anything you do that says you love me that doesn't actually, isn't actually followed with a life of love for my people, it's an abomination. That's what he's saying to these people here. Now, why? Why on earth? Well, it says, when you spread out your hands, in other words, when you pray to me, he says, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen Why? Because your hands are full of blood. What was it that they did? Man, God, this is terrible. Were these people axe murderers in the middle of their streets? No, look at what he says. He says it's not because of what they've done, but because of what they've not been doing. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And this is where we all get excited because we have been taught to separate this next sentence from the verses around it. And we say, yes, this is about our salvation. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Guys, in context, what he's saying is, is not, okay, slap on the hand, bad boys and girls, but I'll come to rescue you, so don't worry about it anymore. No, he's saying, guys, you have not been taking on my heart to the world. So repent and take my heart to the world. Reason with me. Understand who I am. And when you do, then I will know you're my people. And though your sins are as scarlet, the allowance of oppression, they shall be purified as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, in what? Stop evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. He says, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Guys, this is scary stuff. I used to read this and I thought, oh yeah, our nation is kind of like this, our nation. No, he's talking to God's people here. See, God is never surprised when those who are not his people don't act like his people. So realize that most of the Bible is not written to the sinner, it's written to the saint. And it's saying, here is the heart of our God. One of the things you see reflected in Scripture is that righteousness is a communal trait. Individuals are righteous when they work together to create a community where shalom reigns. A couple of quotes I'll share with you here. Abraham Lincoln said, Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves, and under a just God cannot long retain it. Martin Luther King said, Martin Luther King Jr. said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And one of my favorites from Frederick Douglass, who is a, uh, African-American, an African-American and abolitionist, who preached this on the 4th of July over 160 years ago, let the people of God array their immense powers against slavery and slaveholding, and the whole system of crime and blood would be scattered to the winds. Man, I wish I could talk like that. The church is called to be that community bringing justice to the oppressed. The one that we follow, Jesus, quoting from Isaiah 61 when he stepped into the synagogue to announce his coming and what his purpose was, he said this. This is from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, made me the Messiah, the Christ, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Guys, we cannot commandeer that for ourselves unless we are willing to do the hard things, to sacrifice in order to bring it to those around us. And so we, as a church, have chosen to partner with International Justice Mission. Now, if you're not, um, if you're not familiar with them, let me give you just a couple of things about them, and then we're going to do one last video and we'll be into the time of worship. As I said, they're the largest anti-slavery, uh, international anti-slavery organization in the world. They work in 20 communities around the world. That may not seem like a lot, but when you see where they are, it makes a lot of sense. They're centered in Washington, D.C. Now, what they do is they protect over 21 million people in the world from violence around the world. And as we know, that's a very small percentage of what is actually out there, but they've started the work. Now, uh, the way that they work is this they have a model that first they rescue the slaves, they rescue thousands and protect millions. They then restore them to their community through an aftercare program, through counseling, okay, through a lot of different things, getting them education and so forth. They then go and they do the work of restraining, convicting those who are the slave owners. They restrain the criminals, and then they also represent the victims in court to make sure that the criminals go away. And this is so effective, guys, that recently in Uganda, Um, three of the IJM workers were kidnapped and killed because the slave owners were so angry at what they did. They're shutting down slavery throughout the world. The last thing they do is they train law enforcement, the legal system. Over 37,000 officers and officials have been trained since 2012. They try to repair the justice system, provide resources, not just bring in our American mentality of we'll come in and fix it, but build up the indigenous people to understand the heart of God. They have an amazing model. Now, here are some of their locations uh, throughout the world. It's kind of hard to see, that's a global map, um, and uh, I can put this online later for you to see, but they're all over the world. And here are some of the locations where there's been a drastic drop in the availability of minors, those under 18, for commercial sexual exploitation. And the reason is because IGM has partnered with the local justice system. In Cebu, Philippines, there's a 79% drop of minors in sexual exploitation after four years. Uh, Hold your applause here. Uh, It's awesome, yeah. Pampagana, I'm probably mispronouncing that, Philippines, 86% drop after four years. Manila, Philippines, 75% drop after seven years. In Cambodia, less than 0.1% of the commercial sex trade workers now are under the age of 15 because of 10 years of partnership with IJM. This month alone, a Cambodian woman was rescued from bride traffickers in China. Three children were freed. Uh, They were being used in a cyber sex trafficking by their parents. Their parents were abusing them and putting it on the web. And IJM came in, rescued the children, and has convicted the parents. Um, Also, a bonded labor boss is awaiting his court date as 15 of of his workers were set free in India. That's this month alone. This is amazing and awesome work. And the question is, is what can we do? What can I do in Salem, Oregon? And here's what you can do. Write these down. Number one, you need to spread awareness. We, and I say this with as much love and care, and please hear my tone in this, we have to wake up. The United States has to wake up. Guys, it is not about our country It is not about whether our country is prosperous or not. And we have bought into this lie that if our country is prosperous, everyone else is. No, no, no. We have to wake up. And so we can not only know it ourselves, but we can spread awareness. Number two, we need to pray for IJM and the oppressed. Remember that prayer is partnership with God in that desire. So that prayer is for the covering and protection of the IJM workers, for the love and the the help to those that are oppressed. Prayer in partnership with all that is already going on. And then number three, repent from choices that oppress. Guys, if you are in here, I offer myself today as help to you to get you out of sexual addiction. If you are looking at pornography, you are lifting up sexual exploitation. Come to me. Come to me soon. Don't let the destruction continue. I will help you walk through it, okay? If you are a person that doesn't care where you buy what you buy, okay, I don't think there's a person in here that hasn't shopped at Walmart, okay? If you are, you're more more holy than me. But we have to start thinking about why we buy what we buy. Start looking into the organizations you buy from. We need to hold our companies accountable Number four, we need to change our own values to align. Guys, if this is about those people out there, that thing that other people deal with, then we have to change our values to realize that if we state we are followers of the Most High God, this is our value system to bring freedom to the oppressed. And number five, give resources to those on the front lines. Guys, I know we've talked about money a lot because money is necessary for movement and ministry. Whether it's here or whether it's in Burkina or whether it's through IJM or through Young Life or through Crew, resources are necessary. And many of us, again, have bought into this funky theology. Well, well, God is the God of cattle on a thousand hills. He'll just make a pile of money suddenly appear. Now, I can tell you because I've done that prayer before, for some reason it just doesn't seem to happen. God has given you the resources so that you can give the resources, okay? Okay. And so we need to give resources. And it is true that where God wants work done, he will give resources. And so by his spirit, he will convict us to give of our resources. Today, my family is going to sign up to be what are called freedom partners. In fact, we already have. Okay, that's where this pin comes from. All right? If you want to be a freedom partner and you want to help support IJM, There's many other ways to support the movement of God. But if you want to support IJM specifically, uh, I'm going to show you a video and you can either sign up at the back um, or you can sign up online. So let me show you this video. It'll introduce you to what the Freedom Partner Program is.
1: Uh, We all know the Good Samaritan story. Two other people walked past this man who was hurt and wounded. There was one person who stopped, picked him up, and paid for his care. It didn't take too much, it just required him to stop and actually pay attention that somebody is suffering, pay attention that somebody is wounded. Now Jesus talked to us about this parable because he wants us to be like that good Samaritan. You may be removed miles and miles away from where these things are happening, from where the crime of human trafficking or slavery is happening, but you're also very close to the heart of Jesus. He wants to extend his kingdom on this earth. And he doesn't just come from heaven and do it himself. He uses people like you and I. He uses us as his instruments. He uses our abilities to extend his kingdom. Do you want to be someone who stopped and decided, no, this is, this is wrong. It cannot happen on my watch. It cannot happen in my time. And so the invitation is open.
2: If you are watching this, it is because you woke up this morning and made the choice to get
0: here.
2: And when you leave this place, you take it with you. Right now, there are more than 45 million people around the world still bound in slavery. And that number is growing. IJM has a model that works. But we can't do more unless we have more help. So we are asking believers from around the world to take action and take us with you too. We call them Freedom Partners. When you become a Freedom Partner, you join a community that is actively praying advocating and spreading the word to get more people involved by giving 24 dollars a month or more we can grow our global mission to find rescue and renew lives because lack of resources should never be the reason
1: why we didn't end slavery do you want to be one of them who walked past or do you want to be someone who stopped and decided no this is wrong it cannot happen on my watch. It cannot happen in my time. And so the invitation is open. Join us and become a Freedom Partner today.
0: We had a nationwide conference call with all the pastors that, uh, whose churches were going to be doing a Freedom Sunday, and one of the pastors spoke up and said, um, uh, why $24? It's kind of an odd number. And it was funny because it, it, they didn't even think about it to put that in there. And he goes, oh, because we fight slavery 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. That's pretty important, you know? Like, that's pretty pretty symbolic. And so if you're a person who goes, man, I, you know, for some reason, I'm not called to go to India and be on those front lines, that's okay. But are you called to participate? Because the bottom line is, every one of God's people are called to participate in bringing the gospel of freedom to his world. And so we as a church... My family uh, has signed up to Be Freedom Partners. We as a church are going to be contributing a small monthly sum uh, to IJM as well. Uh, The elders, we agreed on giving a portion uh, to IJM each month uh, out of tithe and offering. Um, But we also have the opportunity to either sign up at this URL or you can go in the back there and you can sign up back there. And uh, the first 10 of you will be given one of these. Uh, It's got a cool little pin on it, right, that you can take home um, to remind yourself that you are part of those that are supporting IJM. And so, worship team, why don't you guys come on up right now? Because I want to finish off with this. We're going to finish off like we do every Sunday, worshiping the God that is a good and loving God, that has freed us to bring freedom. It says we have been freed. For freedom's sake, we have been made free. And I want to do what we do every week, which is to worship the source of that freedom, which is Yahweh himself coming in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, resurrecting, and giving to us eternal life so that we can take that gospel to the world around us. If you aren't a believer in here today, if for some reason you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know the Yahweh God, the Father Creator God that created everything and sent His Son, the Triune God, if you don't know Him today, come come to me in the back and we'll chat. And I would love to pray with you and talk to you about what it is to follow Jesus. But for the rest of us, let's make it our mission to actively follow Jesus' lead as disciples learning and acting on the behalf of the one who came to set the captives free. So let's unite in prayer now. Jesus, we have gathered today in your name with great freedom, yet we acknowledge not all your children are free. We confess our tendency to live comfortably with injustice. We confess our use of liberty for personal gain, self-preservation, an action that builds our kingdom alone. We confess our ignorance and apathy towards those who are vulnerable and abused. We ask that You would forgive us this morning, Lord. Lord Jesus, transform us to be people who share Your heart for justice. We add our voices to Your own today that the injustice of slavery and human trafficking must end. Our hearts are saddened and our spirits are angry that their dignity and rights are transgressed through threats and deception and violence. We desire to partner with you today to be your hands and feet to assist in the protection of all these that are oppressed, especially the young and the vulnerable. Let your tender love and care surround all present victims of trafficking. And we pray for those missionaries and IJAM personnel and law enforcement and social workers and lawyers and judges who are on the front lines of this fight. Give us the courage and wisdom to stand in solidarity with them today, that together we will find ways that the freedom that is your gift to all of us will be brought to them as well. We pray all this in the power of your name and we offer these prayers to you because you are the source of that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.